Hi, this is the Hymn We Proclaim podcast with Pastor John Fonville. We're wrapping up Season 6, which has been centered on baptism. Today, more about what Scripture has to say about family and whole house baptism. John is also setting the record straight about how some denominations fallaciously teach that baptism is about you and a promise you unfortunately can't keep. The good news is, baptism is about the gospel and God's promise to be faithful to his children. We've been trying to answer the question, why do we baptize children of believers? We baptize infants because, or small children, because we understand from Scripture that God's promise in Genesis chapter 17, verse 7 to Abraham is still in effect. For example, God's promise to Noah in the Noahic covenant, it's still in effect. And aren't you glad it's still in effect? That promise has never been rescinded. And if it had been, we'd be in big trouble. So every time you see a rainbow, you see that God's promise to not destroy the world by a flood again, is it's still in effect. It's never been rescinded. God's covenant of works in the Garden of Eden, that's never been rescinded. It's still in effect. And how do we know that God's, that the covenant of works in, in the Garden of Eden, how do we know that that covenant that God has made has never ended? It's very easy because everybody still dies. And the day that you eat of this, Adam, you shall what? Surely die. That's never been rescinded. That requirement to keep God's law perfectly, personally, and perpetually in every jot and tittle of it is still required. That has never been rescinded. God's covenant promise to Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, has never been rescinded. The only one that's been rescinded is what? The Mosaic Covenant. Those who are now in Christ are sons of God, and they're no longer under a tutor, under a strict pedagogue, under the Old Covenant, because the Mosaic Old Covenant, it has been rescinded. It has passed away. So Abraham is the pattern. Second, we baptize children because Jesus institutes baptism in the Great Commission within the context of the Abrahamic Covenant. The Great Commission, the New Covenant, is simply the new administration of the Abrahamic Covenant. We baptize children of believers, we saw, because infant baptism is not a child dedication service. We baptize children of believers because of what baptism does. And what does baptism do? We said it doesn't save, it doesn't regenerate. It's not that you just pour water on a, on a small child or infant and voila, you know, they're, 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 they're born again. But what does infant baptism do? Infant baptism is a powerful proclamation to the world. This child is not a pagan. This child is not a Muslim. This child is not a Hindu. This child is not a Buddhist. This, this child is not a non-Christian Jew. This child is not an atheist. It's not a Mormon. It's not a Jehovah's Witness. This child is a Christian. This child has been marked with the name of the triune God, and we should never, ever downplay the significance of a naming ceremony that we are marked, us and our children forever, with the name of the triune God. The holy name of God. And then we baptize children of believers because baptism initiates children into the visible covenant community of the church. What is the advantage of of being initiated into the sphere of the outward administration of the visible covenant community? In other words, what what is the benefit of being brought into the visible church? A place, this place. What is the advantage of being here? You can illustrate it like this. What is the value 
of a spacesuit in space. Much in every way. What is the value of being initiated into a spacesuit when you are spacewalking? Much in every way. What is the value of an airplane at 35,000 feet? Much in every way, right? What is the value of a ship on the open sea? Much in every way. That is the value, and just as those have value, so what is the value of the visible church? Much in every way. We saw that from Romans chapter 3. So we have examined so far, and that's what we've looked at, these principal parts of baptism as it relates to infant household baptism. But today, uh, we also have some adult believers' baptisms. And so we're going to turn our attention as we finish our focus on baptism to the baptism of adults and older children who make a profession of faith. Because the debate over baptism focuses on the practice of baptizing infants or little children who have not made a profession of faith. But what is very important to understand is that all denominations practice believers' baptism. The baptism, that is, the baptism of adults or older children who make a profession of faith. All denominations practice that. But here's the key that you need to understand. Even here with believers' baptism of those who make a profession of faith, guess who the pattern is? Abraham. (laughs) Bingo, right? You won bingo. Uh, Abraham is still the pattern for the baptism of adults and older children who make a profession of faith. Believers' baptism follows the pattern established by God in the Abrahamic covenant. And so Abraham is the pattern. There was provision, and let me just, uh, let me just go through this with you, but there was provision in the Abrahamic covenant from Genesis 12, Genesis 15, and then as the sign was instituted in Genesis 17, there was provision in the Abrahamic covenant for what may be called infant circumcision and also believer's circumcision. So let me just summarize this for you. The administration of circumcision from the, from the Abrahamic covenant was intended for three groups of people. So here are the groups as you summarize scripture. The first group are believing parents and natural born sons of those believing parents. Second, adopted sons of believing parents. And third, adult males who became believers and then their infant sons also. So when you take the Abrahamic covenant and you summarize it all together, those are the three groups who received circumcision. It was both believers' circumcision and it was infant circumcision. So let me give you some examples from Scripture. Here's the first one. You've heard of Ishmael, right? Okay, so Ishmael was circumcised at age 13, and this is an example of a natural-born son of Abraham. He was a physical descendant of Abraham, and he was an older son, and he was, he was circumcised at age 13. Here, here's, an, here's an example of an adopted son of Abraham. Uh, if you go back to Genesis 17 and also in Genesis 12, Abraham had a servant called Eleazar. And Eleazar was born in Damascus, but he was adopted by Abraham. 
And so Eleazar was circumcised along with, listen, all the servants in his household with male children. So not only Eleazar, but all the men servants and their children. Then you have Isaac in Genesis chapter 24. Isaac is the first example of an infant son who was circumcised one week after his birth. So here you have a clear example of infant circumcision. And then you have the ultimate example, guess who? Abraham, because <laughs> Abraham is the pattern. What is Abraham? Abraham is the example of an adult believer who receives circumcision Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 4, verse 11, as he reads Genesis 12 through 17, the story of Abraham. He says this, he says, Abraham, specifically chapter 15, Abraham received the sign of circumcision, which is a seal of the righteousness which he had while he was still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe. So, so the point is, is when you look at the Abrahamic covenant, there was provision in the Abrahamic covenant both for what is called infant circumcision and also believer's circumcision. And it was this pattern of administration of circumcision for 2,000 years during the Old Testament. That pattern was established by the Lord himself in Genesis chapter 12 and 15 and then signed and sealed in 17 with Abraham. And so what do we find when we then come to the New Testament? Listen carefully in Acts chapter 2, verse 39. This pattern of administrating the, the, the covenant of grace, the gospel, was carried over into the New Testament and Peter makes this clear on the day of Pentecost, on the Feast of Pentecost. He says to all the Jews present on the, on the Feast of Pentecost, he says, for the promise. This is God, the Lord's promise to be a God to you and to your children. The Lord's promise to Abraham, he says, is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, the Gentiles, as many as the Lord our God will call. And so there's the pattern. That's the pattern of administration with Abraham right there. For 2,000 years, this is how God has administrated his gospel promise to be a God, listen, to you and to your children. So what was Peter saying to all these Jewish believers on the day of Pentecost? He was saying, listen, the Lord's promise of salvation for you Jew is for you Jewish converts, and it's for your children, just like it was with Abraham. And it is for the Gentiles, because God promised this from the very beginning. It's exactly what he was saying, because if you go back to Genesis chapter 12, specifically verse 3, which the Apostle Paul quotes in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, what does Paul call Galatians chapter 12, verse 3? He calls it the gospel beforehand, the gospel in promise. The Abrahamic covenant is the gospel in promise. And so God established the gospel and the pattern of administering this gospel to his people so that the essence of the sign was never abolished. Man has always been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, either in promise or in fulfillment. 
And so the only thing that was changed was the form. God's grace, his promise of salvation is the same throughout all the covenants. Only the sign is now different. Circumcision then, baptism now. And so Abraham is the pattern. Abraham was circumcised after he believed. That is believer's circumcision. But what did the Lord command Abraham to do in Genesis chapter 17? He commanded Abraham to administer the sign of circumcision to his offspring. And so Abraham administered circumcision to members of his household before they made a profession of faith. You see that. So Abraham administered circumcision to the members of his household before they made a profession of faith. And his household, don't think of his household as like, you know, he had a couple kids and he had a wife and maybe a dog or something. No, no, no. His household was huge. He had natural sons. He had adopted sons. He had servants in his household. And those servants had children. And so his household was massively huge. And so as we come to the New Testament in Galatians chapter 3, verse 7, as you heard this morning in our scripture reading, also in Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, Paul says it very clearly, those who are trusting Christ by faith alone are, listen, the sons, the offspring of Abraham. And so we as Abraham's offspring are to follow Abraham's example. Abraham is the pattern And so Abraham administered circumcision to to members of his household. He administered, God said, Abraham, administer your whole household, initiate your entire household into my covenant promise. And this is exactly the pattern that we see in the book of Acts with household baptisms. Maybe you've often wondered, you know, what are all these household baptisms? Because you would have, you would have a believer who would believe and be baptized, but then it says the whole household was baptized. And you have to remember, this is a very Jewish context. Just as in the case of Abraham and his household in the Old Testament, a household in the New Testament included, listen, this is who the households in the New Testament included. It included the father of the family, his wife, all children, regardless of their ages, and all household servants, and their families, and all children, regardless of their ages. So these households were huge. That's why if you go back, remember the story of Jesus, they're going on this journey, and Joseph and Mary lose Jesus. Remember that story in the gospel? And you're thinking, well, well, how could they lose their son? They're just, you know, they've got him right there. No, no, no. They're, they were with their whole household. There might have been 300 of them. It would have been very easy to lose your kids and with, a, with a household that big. And that's why it happened with Jesus. And then he tells him, he rebukes him. He says, didn't you know that I should be in my father's house? Well, of course, you know, <laughs> that's where he would be. But, but, but households were huge. And so this household concept in the New Testament comes right out of Abraham, right out of the Old Testament. And so when you have these household baptisms, the the New Testament records 11 baptisms. And five of the recorded 11 baptisms are of entire households, almost 50%. 
We have four household baptisms in the book of Acts. Let me just quickly tell you, you have the uh, Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. You have Lydia in Acts chapter 16. You have the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16. You have Crispus in Acts chapter 18. And then you have one example of a household baptism in the book of 1 Corinthians where Paul says he baptized Stephanus in his whole household, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 16. So you have five household baptisms recorded in the New Testament. And what we see in these household baptisms is the same pattern of administration that God established with Abraham 2,000 years prior. We baptize the household of those who profess faith in Jesus Christ and who promise to raise their families in this faith. Baptism as the sign of the new covenant replaces circumcision, and circumcision was not a part of the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant. Circumcision was a part of the Abrahamic covenant, which was the gospel. And so the sign changes, but the pattern of administering the sign remains. And therefore, baptism is to be administered to all within the covenant family, the covenant household, whether adults or children. So what do we make of this, right? What's the, what's the application point? How do we, what is the significance of what you just heard? Here it is as we think about this. As we witness the household baptism this morning of adults and older children plus their younger children, this is what I want you to remember about uh, this important truth. Uh, many of us grew up in a Baptist context, right? And so baptism was simply your public profession to be a real committed believer, right? And, and after you gave your personal testimony and you swore your obedience to really be committed, the, 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 the pastor would say, now, based upon your profession of faith, I now baptize you. And so baptism becomes a great burden, because you can't live up to your promise, right? You, you, have, you have inverted the gospel, and you've turned the gospel into a legal, uh, a legal work that now you do. And so baptism becomes a burden, and it ultimately condemns us because we know we can't live up to our promises. But baptism is not signifying and sealing our promise. It's signifying and sealing God's promise who is filled with steadfast love forevermore, and he's faithful to all generations, who has never once broken his promise. And so we, as we come to witness these, these household baptisms today, how do we keep baptism from becoming a burden that ultimately condemns us? Well, here's how it is. Listen to this author. He says, what the baptized is primarily confessing is not undying devotion to God, but God's unfailing devotion to redeeming, cleansing, sanctifying, and ultimately glorifying this weak, sinful believer. The sacrament of baptism is intended by God to feed our faith, to comfort and assure us. Thus, the focus of this ordinance must be on what God has done and is doing for us and not on what we have, are, or will be doing for God. Otherwise, the sacrament will serve only to burden and ultimately condemn us. And so what is baptism this morning? Baptism is a joyful sign of the gospel. 
It's a joyful sign of the gospel. It is a triune God's gift to his church, which is intended to fill his church with joy. It's intended to powerfully proclaim the gospel and to build the faith and unity of the church. As a visible gospel, baptism signifies and seals to us that just as we are washed outwardly with water, whereby the filthiness of our bodies are taken away, so certainly are we washed with Jesus' blood and Holy Spirit from the pollution of our sins and our souls. And through baptism, the Holy Spirit wants to assure us that we are as truly washed from our sins spiritually as our bodies are washed with water. That's what baptism signifies and seals to us, the good news of the gospel. And so what does it mean to be washed with the blood and spirit of Christ? It is, it is this, it is to be renewed by the Holy Spirit. It is to have all our sins forgiven for Christ's sake. It is to become sanctified members of Christ so that we can more and more die to sin and lead a holy and blameless life as we follow Christ in our new life in him. And that's good news, isn't it? And that's what the household baptisms that we're about to witness uh, signifies and seals to us today. So let's all pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of baptism. We thank you that in the gift of baptism that we're not primarily confessing our undying devotion to you, which is quite pitiful. But you are confessing your unfailing devotion to us who are weak, sinful believers. And whereas we are weak and we fail, you are strong and you always prevail and you're always faithful to your promise. And so we pray for these baptismal candidates today and we pray for the whole church that as we witness these baptisms, you would powerfully, through your Holy Spirit, confirm and strengthen and assure hearts that just as truly as we are washed uh, our bodies are washed with water outwardly, so we are inwardly by the blood of Christ and the Holy Spirit cleansed and washed from all our sin. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hymn We Proclaim podcast with John Fonville. Hymn We Proclaim is a ministry of John Fonville of Paramount Church in Jacksonville, Florida. You can check out his church at ParamountChurch.com. We look forward to next time.